Welcome to Calling All Lovers, the podcast that delves into the intricacies of love and relationships and shows that love is love no matter how you identify. I'm your host, Katie Hennessy, and today's episode is a really important one. But before we start, I want to add a big disclaimer and trigger warning that this episode discusses sexual assault and rape. Today, I'm talking to Chanel Contos, the woman bringing the issue of lack of consent education in Australian schools to Parliament. If you don't already know, Chanel started an Instagram poll on her page a few weeks ago, asking her followers, if you live in Sydney, have you or has anyone close to you ever experienced sexual assault from someone who went to an all boys school? At the time, it had 72% who answered yes. This prompted Chanel to create an online petition calling at first private schools and now all Australian schools to teach consent at a much younger age as well as add other topics such as queer sex education. Chanel's petition went rapidly viral, seeing her featured and interviewed on news stations nationally and globally. At the time of recording, Chanel's petition has 28,637 signatures and 2,085 testimonies of people who believe inadequate sex education contributed to their sexual assault during or soon after school. On a personal note, this topic and the advocacy Chanel is doing is something I'm extremely passionate about. At the age of 26, I have more close friends who've experienced sexual assault than haven't. I'm not okay with this fact. I'm angry and I'm voicing it. I'm angry that everyday women have to anticipate what a man may do and how they may act towards them. Whether it's getting dressed in the morning or walking to our cars at night with our keys poised between our fingers. I'm angry and I'm tired. I truly believe we need a systemic change globally. But at a national level, I'm so glad this is beginning to be spoken about. I 100% support Chanel and her work campaigning to get an overhaul of our sex education in schools. I hope everyone takes something from this episode and begins conversations like this in their friend and family circles. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm super excited to chat to you and get caught up on everything that's been happening with you in the past few weeks. But before I start, I ask every one of my guests what their pronouns are. So what are your pronouns? Mine are she, her. Perfect. So you've had a hectic few weeks. Um, yes, how it's been are insane. you feeling? <laughs> I am exhausted, but yeah. better now. The first like week was not so good. I mean, I was just kind of I thought it would blow up and then kind of go away, and I was trying so hard to not make it go away. And because I'm based in London, but working on Sydney hours, I was staying up till like 11 a.m. some days. What? Um, and getting like a few hours sleep, and then you know waking up again as soon as Sydney woke up. 
Oh um, my God. But I obviously realised, I, I remember on, I think it was like five or six days after this all started, I had barely slept, like literally only a couple of hours each night. And um, I literally like passed out. And, you know, my friend was waking me up being like, come on, you got an interview with Sky News. And I was like, I can't do it. Like, tell them, tell them I'm not coming. I was like, I'm not doing it. And, like, they were like, no, 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 you've got Sky News and Channel 10. Like, you have to get up. And I was, like, in physical pain for no reason other than exhaustion. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, switch my phone off and yeah. go to bed earlier. Set some boundaries. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But now I'm good. Um, now I've got a sustainable thing going, I think. Okay, well, I'm glad. I just wanted to check in with you because I can't even imagine going through that. Obviously, it's for a good cause, but yeah, very, very hectic. Definitely worth it. (laughs) Um, So what I wanted you to come on for was like, basically, I'm just so amazed at what you've done. Like, I think it's really incredible. And even though it should have been done years ago, like for some reason now it feels like our climate is ready to open up this conversation and really dive in and get some changes happening, which is amazing. But um, one key difference between you and I, like we both grew up in Australia. I think we're only like two years apart, actually. And, right, um, yeah. But you went to a private school and I went to a public school. So I thought it would be interesting for us to sort of have a conversation about what our experiences were because I think this is a global issue but specifically in Australia it is an issue with all schools and Mm. I don't know many people that went to private schools so I'm wondering like what was your sex education like like who taught it at your school? So for me personally um Sex education was, I barely remember it, it was kind of like that one lesson a term where you would like giggle and, you know, the male PDHPE teacher would always pretend to be sick that day so the female came in to not make it awkward. And I remember like so clearly being in year nine and like the PDHPE teacher rocking up with like these plastic bananas that you like pull open halfway and then it's just like a dick. Oh my God, you guys actually had that. (laughs) Yeah, then you practice putting condoms on them, I guess, (laughs) yeah. Um, But in terms of consent, um, I heard about consent and understood it for the first time when I was in year 10. Um, My school got an external person to come in and he was an ex-policeman and teach us about sexual assault, um, consent and, you know, the implications of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember leaving that room and thinking, like, shit, being sexually assaulted. Um, oh and, you know, it was a two-year delay realisation. And yeah. me and my best friends were, yeah, we were all just like, wow, we, we a lot of us have been sexually assaulted. And I remember we were at lunchtime that day, like, sitting there in a circle and just we are each calling out, like, the maximum sentences that our perpetrators could get. <laughs> Um, I was like, my guy could get 14 years. And someone else was like, my guy could get seven years. And like, we were just, obviously that would never be the reality. I mean, that's the maximum sentence. Yeah. um, You know, the people doing this were literally kids. But it was just like this crazy empowering realization to be like, wow, I thought that, you know, I fucked up when I was 13, but actually, you know, someone else fucked up and Mm -hmm. that's not, that's not on me. But it's, it still happened um, too late. And also that type of education I got was not uh, – it, was, it wasn't in the curriculum. My school went out of their way to provide that to me, which is great, but it still mm-hmm. wasn't good enough. It wasn't holistic enough and it didn't happen early enough. 
Yeah, that's crazy. So you finally had like a name to put to the experience that you knew wasn't like what you wanted to happen. Exactly. And I think it's really like language can be so empowering to be able to like define mm-hmm. something, especially for, you know, um, someone under, like a child to be able to understand and define what something was. Um, yeah. yeah. What about you? What was your public school consent education like? Oh, zero. That's why I'm like shocked that you even had it. Like we mm. had our counselor do the sex ed and they even separated the boys and girls at a certain point and we were 13 yeah we were in grade eight and we were 13 and we got separated when it was time to talk about periods and I don't know what the guys talked about but for us it was it was kind of like oh we're separating you so that you don't get embarrassed because we're going to talk about your periods and yeah which is so problematic in itself because it's like one like males should know what happened to sort of like females on their periods and two by pretending that it's something that they should that they would be embarrassed about when talking about it will then lead to people being embarrassed about it. Exactly. It was perpetuating us feeling shame around something that naturally happens to our bodies. Mm. And, um, yeah, there was no, no talk about pleasure. I didn't even know the clitoris existed for years. (laughs) Neither, literally neither. (laughs) It's crazy. Like they did an anatomy. Um, it was basically an anatomy talk and how babies are made, but, even on the anatomy images, there wasn't the clitoris. <laughs> yeah, that's it's actually insane that they purposely remove it. Yeah. Like, it's it's a really, really weird concept that they literally go out of their way to not describe it to us. Because even I didn't really know until, like, I don't know, last year, the names for the different parts of my, you know, vagina and vulva. And I remember reading this thing about the fact that we refer to our whole like female anatomy as vagina is so it's so bad because that means that it's that one hole that is used for babies and sex exactly there's so many other parts that are important like you know the vulva is really the main part that's usually what we're talking about when we say vagina and then like the clitoris needs way more (laughs) airtime yeah exactly (laughs) and I was just like I it was a one one session, one lesson throughout the whole of my high school period. And I, like you as well, probably know more of my friends that have been sexually assaulted than haven't, which really hit home to me. And I was thinking like, if we had have had more talks on even talks on relationships, not even just sex, but like what is coercion? What are some red flags Mm. that you should look out for in your relationship? What does a healthy relationship look like? Because some kids don't have that as like shown to them at home in their home situation. So if you don't see it, you don't actually know what a healthy relationship looks like. And I keep seeing my friends go into these unhealthy situations not knowing any better and so that's why I'm like the work that you're doing is so 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 important oh thank you (laughs) um yeah no it's it's I think the amount of traction that's gotten is just so telling of how many people were thinking this Mm -hmm. um and I mean yeah it's 
it, there's just so many factors that keep coming into play, like literally left, right and centre. It's just everything and they all interrelate to each other and it all just creates this environment where we think it's normal and um, that it happens on such a scale. Yeah. You've had thousands of testimonies. Is there something that like stands out when you read through all of them? Is there like one thing or a couple of things that stand out for you that are similar? I think the biggest thing for me is noticing, and it's such a gap in the curriculum, people not knowing that oral sex can be rape. Um, Mm. It's literally like the bread and butter of rape culture to like Mm -hmm. (laughs) have your head shoved onto someone's dick and you think it's okay because you were getting with them five minutes before um, and you feel kind of weird about it but you don't know. And one of the most like confronting parts of this whole experience for me was, um, you know, one of my friends – uh, in the year below me at school messaged me their testimony and, you know, they sent it personally to me so I could mm-hmm. see their name. And their story was about, you know, what I just said, like their boyfriend at the time or someone they trust at the time forcing their head onto their dick and forcing them to give them head. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's what happened to me as well when I was 13. Wow. And um, I, like, replied, being like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry to hear that, like, sending you so much love, all those things. Mm -hmm. And they reply saying, ha, 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 as if I give a fuck. It happened to all of us. And, like, Uh. it's so true. Like, I was just looking at that message and I was just like, yeah, like, it happened to so many of us so many times. Mm -hmm. Like, so many girls' first experience of, um, you know, giving oral sex is usually so much coercion involved or, like, physical force. It's, like, um, insane that we don't think that – that's right because we don't know any better Mm -hmm, definitely and I'm so sorry that that happened to you and that you're having to sort of relive it every time someone sends through a message like that yeah no I very much um this actually I actually thought about this last night um after an interview I just like finished the interview and was like so calm and just like you know went straight to sleep after and even like when this all started, like when I initially started the petition, even just talking about this experience and like talking about my friend's experience with them, we were like shaking, like, and I was like yeah. crying and like, you know, I didn't go to class that day because I was too like, you know, frustrated and flustered mm-hmm. by the whole situation. Whereas now I'm like, it's actually been so empowering. Like I honestly feel like it, even though it's obviously been so like hard and stuff like that, it's almost made it less triggering overall because I'm just like don't feel alone at all, feel so supported and yeah, just feel so brave that it's being talked about. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why so many people feel comfortable and confident coming forward is because you have found your voice and you're giving a voice to others, which I think is pushing these conversations forward. Mm. It's interesting what you said about not knowing that giving head and being forced that forced upon you was rape because that's something that I didn't realize either is that you have to consent to every single part of sex and Mm. like even if you switch positions and you don't feel comfortable you can say that and you can say I don't give consent to this like I didn't even know that yeah that's so true and also another big massive theme especially amongst um, you know, the testimonies because so many of them are students or it happened to them when they were students. People don't know that you can be raped by your boyfriend or girlfriend, like, mm-hmm. you know, your partner. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how close you are with this person or 
what you've done with them in the past before, like you just said, what you were doing seconds before, you can still be put in, um, you can still be sexually assaulted by someone that you trust and that you consent to certain things with um, previous times. Yeah, definitely. Um, What's your thoughts on people who say that consent is an issue that parents should address at home? I've had some people say this to me and I have my thoughts on it, but I was wondering about yours. Um, I mean, I definitely think that consent needs to be addressed at home as well, mm-hmm. but the whole point about addressing it in the education system is consistency. Um, mm-hmm. And also the more people who are informed of the same things, you know, they can hold each other accountable because that means that if someone's at a party and they're in a compromising position and someone's doing something to them, they can, again, use this powerful language to be like, excuse me, that is sexual coercion. Mm-hmm. And that per- perpetrator can step back and be like, oh, and, you know, know that they're being called out for this thing that they know very well what it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the more people who the more people who learn about it, the better it will be. And I think that um, I think parents are kind of in general in denial to an extent about mm. how early some children engage in sexual activity. And yeah. I think that parents, it, there's such a large role for parents to play, especially in like the primary age. But in terms of getting adequate holistic sex education you know in unless the parents are equipped to talk about this in full and have the relationship with their child where it would be like listened to and respected which I think is like kind of a rare circumstance both those things Mm -hmm. together then it needs to be it can't be just we can't be just the parents yeah definitely but I think the parents have a massive role to play in like um you know discourse around victim blaming and rape culture like you know mm-hmm. instead of telling your girls not to get raped tell your boys to respect people's bodies and things like that um or like yeah it might make it hard to come forward about a sexual assault situation if alcohol was involved if your parents don't know that you drink alcohol or don't let you drink yeah. alcohol or things like that so it's it's a complicated one what, what do you think I I totally agree. I had this conversation in one of our early episodes with a sex and pleasure coach and we talked about this as well and came to the same conclusion that you need to have the vocabulary to talk about this topic because it's so you need to have the right way of saying things so that you don't perpetuate like you're saying mm. slut shaming, rape culture. And so if our parents haven't learned anything about their bodies or have only learned from either their partner or porn, how are they going to adequately teach a child? And so having like the right educators, I think it's so important to get an external sex educator where it is their actual job that they do every day. They do know how Mm. to talk about these situations to come into the schools And have these, like, facilitate these chats with teenagers and kids. Like, as early as, like, children, you should be learning about consent and what it means to have bodily autonomy. For sure. I 100% agree. I think it can also be really, like, the reason I remember my consent talk so vividly is because it was by someone who's, like, a professional speaker and it was by Mm -hmm. someone who was external to the school. Um, Yeah. But, you know, that was an, it was a one-day event, which was great. You know, we got, like, about six or seven hours on it. Wow. But if you're away from school that day, you mm. miss that. Like, that's not really good enough. It needs to be something that's kind of, like, you know, there needs to be certain 
whole workshop days, but it also needs to be dubbed throughout the curriculum. And yeah, yeah teachers need to make sure they don't contribute to these things. I got a testimony a few hours ago um, saying, you know, like, hey, Chanel, I went to the same school as you. Um, I'd, like, I remember you, and I remember when I was in year seven, I used to think that you're, like, the year 10 girls, which is how much older I was than them. Yeah. She was like, yeah, I used to think, like, the year 10 girls were so cool, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, one of my first memories of high school was hearing a teacher call one of your friends a slag because they had had sex at a party on a weekend. And then they proceeded to talk about how she was like, had a cakey face of makeup. And then, you know, that's a, that's a 12 year old girl's first impression of the culture at my high school. And it doesn't surprise me at all that a teacher Mm -hmm. called a girl in my grade a slag because I like, I know that that's the mentality. And, you know, those are the people that like we need to educate the educated as well, mm-hmm. educate the educators as well on this. Or yeah. as you said, um, well, I think an and situation, make sure yeah. that those throwaway comments aren't said in the school and at the same time have an external source come in to teach about this adequately. Yeah, definitely. Well, that like brings me perfectly into another question I had, which was what are some examples you witnessed at your school of toxic masculinity and slut shaming? I guess that was one of them. Do you have others that come to mind? Yeah, for sure. Another thing I was thinking about today was on my first school excursion, like the first time I wore mufti at um, my school. I was in year five and we went to Canberra. Um, Mm -hmm. I got asked to change my top because it was (laughs) inappropriate. And it was like, it was a t-shirt that you could like say a tiny bit of my collarbones in. And I remember just being like so confused and I didn't understand and, like, I remember, I was just so embarrassed because I didn't understand. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this isn't the type of stuff that, you know, girls at this school wear because it was my new school and things like that. Yeah. Um, and also slut-shaming, you know, students to students. I mean, I can tell you endless, like, when I was in year 7, 8, and 9, I probably called people sluts left, right, and center because that's what I thought was normal. Yeah. I also got called a slut left, right, and center because that's what was normal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember... One of my friends, her name's Grace, she was the first person who ever, like, brought to my attention that the word slut is really sexist and that it's only towards girls and that, um, you know, we shouldn't, like, we should be empowered by a sexual conquest. We shouldn't, yeah. sorry, conquest, sorry, sexual activities <laughs> in, like, interview mode and I keep saying sexual conquest when I'm talking about <laughs> toxic masculinity. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> sorry, our sexual activity and things like that. And, you know, there was just this big light bulb moment amongst our friend group where we just stopped calling people sluts and it's freaking great but yeah. you know it took one of our peers to educate us I think like her older sister or something educated her I don't I don't know who but mm-hmm. it just shows that like how much education can change the it can change the discourse and um yeah have such an impact on a group of people but I mean slut shaming was in every everyday life we used to call Probably actually not so much within our own friend group, but, like, other neighbouring girls' schools that we knew and we were friends with, we would sit at lunch and talk about things they did and the word slut would definitely be thrown around. Yeah, that happened at my school. There was a girl that got filmed having sex with two guys in my school and the video went around. Everyone was showing it at lunchtime and obviously she was called a slut and all of these things. Mm. I'm like 90% sure she didn't consent to that filming. I don't know if yeah. she consented to the sex, but it doesn't matter. Like The filming's, yeah, a whole different awful, story. Awful, awful. And 
no one did anything to help her. She was completely ostracized. And I just feel Mm. like awful now thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. And it's also kind of the question of like, you know, if say hypothetically she did consent to the situation and then also consented to the filming, Mm -hmm. then why should we ostracize her for it? Yeah. Um, And then again, even worse. So if she didn't consent to the filming, that makes it worse. And then if she didn't consent to the act, worse again. Yeah, definitely. There was a huge, huge culture around slut shaming at my school. And even like the teachers telling us what bras we could and couldn't wear under our shirts because it might tempt a teacher. It's like, what the hell? They're teachers. They shouldn't be even thinking about that. And like, it was like, girls don't wear your skirts too short or like uh, bend over in front of the teacher to pick something up. It was always, like, put on us. Yeah, as in it's, like, don't hire people who you think are going to sexualize 16-year-old girls. Like, don't tell 16-year-old girls not to pick up their pencil. Yeah, definitely. Is Yeah, actually, I actually got that exact testimony as well today. Um, oh, really? They were told that they had to wear skin-colored bras because mm-hmm. the male teachers, it was inappropriate if the male teachers um, were, like, drawing their, like, it's like, well, then don't look at, a 14 year old girl's dits like it's not that yeah hard. <laughs> exactly it's it's oh it makes me feel so gross yeah um what are the outcomes that you're hoping to achieve with like the work that you're doing and the new website that you've created um so my the outcomes I'm trying to achieve in the like short term is to get schools around Australia to and this is mainly towards private schools because they have the resources and the flexibility but to instantly Mm -hmm. implement consent programs and just start conversations within their schools which I think most schools in Australia uh at least around New South Wales are doing Mm -hmm. at the moment um you know this petition's been addressed in thousands of schools assemblies around the country which is amazing because it brings up the concept of consent for people to you know either go home and ask their parents about or talk to their friends about or yeah things like that um and then I'm also hoping for curriculum change um on Monday on International Women's Day I'm launching a um petition that residents of New South Wales can sign to lobby uh for better uh, more holistic and earlier consent mm-hmm. and ex- education and also changes to consent legislation so that enthusiastic consent is required in terms of determining what is um, what is a rape case and what isn't. Oh, wow. And if it gets 20,000 signatures, which I'm hoping it will relatively easily, seeing as yeah. that's like pretty much half of what I've gotten um, from my other petition at this point almost, uh-huh. then it can it has to be debated in Parliament. And then simultaneously I'm in contact with multiple MPs um, who have already pledged their support to it and I'm going to continue to do that until it gets to a point where it's not even a debate, it's just raised in Parliament and pretty much everyone is just like, yes, this needs to change. Oh, my God, yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I'm also I'm meeting with the Minister of Education on Monday, I think it is, which would be really interesting um, because I've heard interviews of her before kind of saying mm-hmm. that, um, you know, saying that public schools have a adequate sex education and that, you know, it's a private school problem, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's true at all. Yeah, no, not at all, (laughs) especially if what I'm saying is anything to go by. Yeah, yeah, well, I think they they implemented it in, like, the last year or something, but even the, like, course they implemented is still, like, doesn't scrape the surface of the issue. 
Not um, surprised. And again, it's not compulsory in private schools, um, which is just ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. you know, Scott Morrison said um, only two years ago, or maybe three years ago now, uh, yeah, in 2018, he said the reason he sent his daughters to private schools was because in the public school curriculum, um, they, uh, at a public school nearby, they did a workshop on sex education and consent and they had um people like role play certain situations and certain things and one of the role plays was um a 14 year old girl who was confused about her sexuality and he quote scott morrison said that made my skin curl like and it's like and it's just so telling of the monster we're trying to tackle here where the prime minister thinks that addressing queer sex education and consent at a young age is such a problem that he would refuse to send his students through the public schools, his kids through the public school system where that's um, uh, potentially could happen. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not even surprised, honestly, with no, everything that's come out and the reception it's, been given with the alleged rape cases in parliament the past few weeks and the way that he's been talking about it that does not even surprise me Mm. like if our prime minister doesn't have the correct terminology and education like how do we expect this to not filter down you know it's like a systemic problem it's such a systemic problem. It's so structural. And we just, yeah, we need to get to a point where it's suddenly more socially acceptable to call out behaviour that perpetuates rape culture than it is to engage in behaviour that perpetuates rape culture. Mm-hmm. And once we're at that point, there'll be, like, a massive societal shift. But I think we're still working towards it. But this, I think this is a big step in the right direction, this whole movement. And if the momentum keeps up, I think we could get there quickly. Yeah, definitely. I saw um, on your story the other day when you were talking to um, a bunch of the principals, um, mm. I think you were on a Zoom call with them and you were talking about how they needed to include queer sex education because it's legal in Australia and it's legal to marry someone of the same sex. And I was mm. just so, I was literally like fist pumping. I was like, yes, I'm so glad <laughs> someone's saying this to them. But did you have, like, what was the response from that? Have you had any response from either principals or MPs on that point of addressing queer sex education? They kind of, in their statements, um, say, like, like the principal statements after that meeting were saying she'll emphasise the need for this education, um, <laughs> which I was, to be honest, even impressed. They even addressed it because these schools are, like, so religious and so, um, yeah, but I just... I, you know it's 2021 we can't we can't Mm -hmm. deny queer people rights anymore it's gotten it's getting to a point where it's ridiculous you know if it is in legislation that queer people can get married queer people have all the rights that straight people have Mm -hmm. they have the right to education about um sexual consent yeah definitely and it goes so far as like if you're not teaching it you're perpetually isolating teenagers that may be questioning their sexuality or their gender even and it doesn't create a safe environment for them to feel welcome no and it makes it that if something an unpleasant sexual experience happens to them when they're 
you know, when it's not heterosexual, it might make it so, that much harder for them to speak up about it and ostracize them that much more. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think in the government position that's being launched soon, um, queer sex education is in there. So <gasps> government will have to address it. Really? When's that happening? Yeah. So I'm launching it on International Women's Day. So this okay. podcast might be live already by then. Um, mm-hmm. May have already been launched, but yeah, um, I've already gotten it approved. I just haven't made it public yet. Okay. Um, so yeah, that will be very exciting. And then it calls to include um, the words are. We, the undersigned petitioners, request that holistic consent sex education be included in the curriculum that acknowledges toxic masculinity, rape culture, slut-shaming, victim-blaming, sexual coercion, and enthusiastic consent, as well as queer sex education. We also call for urgent reform to require sexual consent to be enthusiastic consent. Um, And that's in terms of legislation. Oh, my God. This would be, like, I mean, I keep saying it's going to be amazing, but it's also just, like kind of sad that it's taken this long I mean Mm. looking at the positives it's good that we can start to talk about it and hopefully change some put in some legislation and have the correct education offered to the next generations but it is sad that it's taken this long it is sad and it's taken it's sad it's taken this magnitude as well because you know I'm sure every single school in Australia has at least one sexual assault case mm-hmm. like come across the principal's desk a year but I yeah. think it just keeps getting dismissed and you know one person's sexual assault case should be just as valid as all of ours combined mm-hmm. um but I think it has been a really powerful message and I think it's probably been very empowering for a lot of people I've had so many people tell me that it's like been the first time they've ever told anyone about this whether, you know, it happened recently or whether it happened 30 years ago. Um, I've had so many people telling me that they got so much closure from putting it in writing in an anonymous testimony. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I think that the more people who speak about their sexual assault experiences, the more people will, the less Mm tabooed it will be. And, you know, the eventually there won't be victim blaming anymore because it will be people won't have to harbour their own shame when they know that, this is something that happens to a lot of people and that it's not it's not their fault that it happens to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and for our last question, I was wondering if you had any advice for anyone that maybe has a story similar to yours or the ones that are in the testimony and they're wondering if they should add it or what they should do. Do you have any advice for anyone that's sort of considering coming forward? Yeah, of course. If I mean the testimonies are anonymous, so if it feels like it's something that you know will bring closure to you, or that you feel can be like your contribution to the movement, or to show that you know this happened to you as well, one hundred percent add your testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of coming forward and like reporting, I will support anyone who wants to report their sexual assault sexual assault experience. However, um, I want my uh, I want my petition to stay around reforming consent and like looking to what we can do in the future because the, or at least the New South Wales reporting system for, you know, sexual assault and, you know, Mm -hmm. taking that to police, that's a whole other can of worms of how problematic that is. Um, And I think that there would be a lot of disheartened individuals if we in mass started reporting. But I think that the best thing we could do is, you know, lobbying schools, lobbying members of parliament and, making it very clear that this is what we want as a population for the future generations um, 
of Australia, I think that's the best thing that can be done. I mean, um, yeah, or I don't know. I personally have not contacted my perpetrator um, mm-hmm. in this whole situation, but I'm sure he's shooting himself, which is <laughs> satisfying enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think – I will support anyone any way they want to take this. And, yeah, I hope that they'll support my campaign and by signing the petition and adding testimonies if they feel comfortable doing so. Definitely. And I'll add some links in and some resources in the description if anyone's struggling with this conversation. <clears throat> um, but thank you so much, Chanel, for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been so nice to talk to you. I could talk to you for, like, hours. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk another time when it's not being recorded yeah definitely <laughs> get more juicy. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm so proud of you and thank you so much for bringing this topic up for one thing for bringing it to parliament and for coming on calling all lovers no thank you so much for your support and also for being one of the first people to reach out to me to talk about this it's been great Thanks for listening. I've included Chanel's petition and links to her Instagram and website, as well as sexual assault helplines and resources below. I'm going to be taking a few weeks off now to build up our second season, but I wanted to thank everyone who has supported Calling All Lovers, who have taken the time to subscribe, write reviews, repost and share our episodes. I also want to thank all my guests for sharing such raw and personal stories. And I want to thank my partner for helping me produce this series. Please continue to DM us listener questions or topics you'd like covered. I'm going to be using this time also to make content for our Instagram. So make sure to follow us at calling.all.lovers. Thank you and I'll talk to you soon.